Welcome to the Four Parents Podcast. I'm your host, Ivy Lassiter, and I'm so glad you're here. Pop in your earbuds and multitask while we talk about all the parenting stuff, lessons learned, funny stories, and practical wisdom from normal people who've been there. Let's get started. On today's episode, I'm talking with my friend Turner. So a few reasons why I asked Turner to be here. First being, she's just one of my dearest friends. And ever since meeting her, our freshman year at Auburn, my life has been better. Second, she's a mom of four children, and you'll hear a little bit about them too, especially this kind of funny story about Christmas ornaments. Third, she's been involved in Young Life and has spent loads of time showing teenagers who Jesus is. And I just think it gives her a unique perspective. And the last thing is her growing up years were pretty unique. Her mom, Sissy, battled rheumatoid arthritis for as long as Turner can remember. Sissy was in chronic pain and endured over 50 surgeries over the span of 20 years. Most of her joints were medically put together by the time I met her. I remember distinctly the first time I spent time with Sissy. And honestly, at first, I remember noticing her arthritis. But it didn't take long to totally forget that she was someone living in chronic pain because her other qualities were so much stronger. Sissy had this incredible gift of hospitality. She always made me not just feel welcomed in her home, but like this sense of, hey, you belong here in my home. Sissy was bold, not afraid to say it as it was. In fact, the first time she met my boyfriend at the time, now he's my husband, she said, okay, Drew, everyone really likes you. When are you going to propose to Ivy? (laughs) Oh, and she said that in front of all of our friends. We died laughing. Sissy was creative. Despite having fingers that didn't quite work like most people, she was able to create the most beautiful paintings. She surprised me after my wedding by sending a painting of me on my wedding day. It's a prized possession. Okay, so here's the conversation. Tell me about your earliest memory of your mom. I was maybe four or five, and I had spent the weekend at my grandparents' house. Great weekend. And I remember coming home on Sunday, running into our den kind of dining area, and my mom was on the couch, and I ran to her, and just noticed like she didn't feel well. And Mm -hmm. I remember having a conversation with her and my dad of, um, Hey, your mom's not feeling well. And just be sure, like, don't jump on her, give her space. She's okay. But, um, just kind of, and I I think I remember it because I remember feeling a sense of like, maybe confusion, not really knowing what was going on, but realizing that something wasn't quite right. Right. And it's funny that 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 would be a first memory I had of of her and just maybe kind of what it looked like. Yeah. And being four, it's like, that's your normal. Yeah. Do you recall like my friend's moms don't do this. Like, do you remember that at all or? No, I really don't. I just remember feeling like, something's just not right. Like it wasn't a normal, like I went from a fun weekend at grandparents. I came home and it wasn't normal at home. Yeah. She had had a surgery. I think one of her first maybe knee or hip replacements. And so, yeah, probably was in a lot of pain. Yeah. And 
I don't think there was a conversation on the front end of like, hey, this is going to happen. So I, I think I came home and it was like, oh, this is different. But I would say that's probably my first distinct memory. As you got older, like teenager, you know, did your mom or dad like prep you when she would have another surgery or was it like, did that pattern change or no? I would say the pattern changed with the older I got of being able to be honest with me. I also think though my parents did protect me from a lot of things. Yeah. And myself now, you know, there's things that are age appropriate and there's the right time to tell your child something too. And so I think I probably was aware and knew a little bit of the story of what was going on, but never really kind of knowing the whole thing. Like there was definitely like a cloud of a bubble of protection around me and what they felt like was appropriate. Yeah. Which I'm grateful for in a sense, just because it's a lot to having a sick parent is a lot to carry on a child. Yeah. But I also think good, healthy communication is, is helpful and healthy too. So how do you think her pain and watching her be in pain impacted you early on? So I think in that like four, five, six, seven, eight age range, I I had some behavioral issues at school. Mm-hmm. Every year my parents would come in and they would say, hey, she's super bright, but she is just super hyper kind of all over the place. And we suggest that she should maybe get tested for ADD or ADHD and my mom said every year I would go through the test and I didn't have it. Yeah. I think kind of worry and anxiety that I was feeling at home, it was kind of translating into the school world when I was needing to sit down and be at my desk and do what was asked of me. I think I probably had this anxiety inside that was kind of making that a little hard as a kid. Yeah. Kid, you don't know how to process that. And so my teachers, I think, labeled it as like a maybe just hyper behavior. But I think looking back, I really think it was some anxiety and worry that I had and just didn't really know how to deal with it. As I got older, there was still always worry. You always worried for your parent that was sick, but there was more communication. And I met Jesus when I was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. And so that brought a whole nother level of joy and peace. And so I'm grateful for that. But I remember a conversation I had with my mom. She came into my room one night. I think I was a freshman or sophomore in high school. And she sat down in the chair in my room and said, can we, can we, can we talk? Can we have a conversation? And I I remember kind of that, like your heart kind of at your feet feeling of like, what is it? And She just said, I want you to know that I think it's an honor to be your mom and I will continue to fight this. And Mm -hmm. so if it means that I have to have more surgeries or if it means that I need to be on different medicine, like it is a priority to me as your mom to fight and to have um, just like a good attitude and, and and knowing like it affected me. And so I always appreciated that piece that she brought to the table yeah. because it would have been so easy to, to say, I'm in chronic pain. I'm taking all this medicine that makes me feel funny. I'm having all these surgeries and nothing's really working to like 
correct things. Yeah. Basically just kind of kicking the can down the road, buying yourself some time, but it's, you know, just kind of chronic pain. And what I think I learned in that moment from her was just like a a fight mentality. We take it a day at a time, but we keep putting one foot in front of the next and it might be hard, but hard's okay. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to move through it. We're not going to dodge it. We're not going to jump over it. We're not going to pretend it didn't happen, but we're going to move forward no matter what it looks like. I think it made me a resilient kid. Yeah. It made me able to, I'm not a big worrier. Yeah. I think it's because I grew up with so many variables changing all the time and a mom that was sick and it was kind of like, I'm not going to worry about it until I need to worry about it right. because what today looks like is not necessarily what tomorrow is going to look like. And so we just take it a day at a time yeah. and we'll fight what comes our way and we'll keep moving forward. And so I think that watching my mom in pain made me able to be a little bit more resilient, I think, than some. Yeah. You think about that moment where your mom goes in your room as a teenager, and I cannot imagine that being something that was easy for her to honestly say or something that, like, she necessarily, the kind of conversation she wanted to have with her teenage daughter, you know? Yet she did it, and that was, I mean, so vulnerable, you know? And, like, and you felt, like, like, I cannot imagine how loved you felt in that moment. Yeah. I think it was hard as a hard as a kid to hear. Yes. It's just ah, oh, yeah, like you said, it's no one wants to have this conversation, but it gave me a sense of security of like she wasn't going to give up. Mhm. It would have been easier to give up. Yeah. Now you have four kids, and so how do you think it impacts the way you parent? So there is a verse I've always loved in Romans and it's Romans 5, 3 through 4. And it the gist of it is it talks about how suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And the suffering piece and the persevering piece and the character and the hope. And I would say as a parent for my four kids, the one thing I would love to say of them is that my kids are kids of high character. Mm-hmm. But what does it tell us produces character? It's suffering and perseverance. And I think watching my mom suffer, even though it was challenging, first off, led me to know Jesus. Mm. And second off, I just think it created this suffering, perseverance, character, hope, and the resiliency. So I think as a parent, and again, I said, I'm not one to typically worry. I've got many other things that are my not great things, but (laughs) I think I'm okay with my kids suffering, having to deal with hard things and not necessarily swooping in and saving the day, but letting them be okay with a little hard. Well, isn't it like we, yes, we all want our kids to have character. We're like, yes, we want our kids to know Jesus and have character, but we don't really want them to experience pain or go through hard things. Like it's, it almost is easier as a parent to swoop in and try and save them and fix whatever rather than go, you know what? 
this is hard. This is painful, but we're going to do this. And okay, this is a side note for our group of friends. I feel like you're one of the like best baby advice givers. So like, give us your philosophy on them needing to self-soothe. Turner's like rolling her eyes, but (laughs) because it's so helpful. Like when we're like, ah, yeah. Okay. So tell us your philosophy on that. You've had four babies. So like, let's come on. Four babies. They're all real close in age, all under the age of five. I am a big proponent of um, sleep trainings, uh, probably not the right word, but just like setting schedules for kids and like laying, for instance, a brand new baby down in their crib and letting them put themselves to sleep versus the parent coming in and and rocking and soothing. And so I'm on Young Life staff and I went to a marriage conference and there they had like a parenting class and the two people that spoke have 11 children. I sat underneath them for a whole week of listening to their parenting structure for how to parent 11 children. And she said, and what I took away from that, and I, at the time I only had one child, she said, the very best thing that we can do for our children is to teach them how to get control of themselves. Huh. And it can be taught to a child super young and through sleeping and all that. But we as a parent cannot be the ones to soothe our children. Hmm. We cannot be the ones to swoop in and save our children that we need to create a structure and a family and a schedule that allows them the tools to be able to do it themselves. Yeah. Kind of been my take on parenting a little bit and having kids that are so close in age. It's, I want a child who is having a meltdown. I want to be there and to be a support, but I also want them to learn, okay, I need to take a deep breath, Mm -hmm. get control of myself. And then when I've gotten control is when I am able to kind of come back and re-enter and continue what I was doing. Yeah. But it's the child figuring out in an age-appropriate way, how am I going to be able to navigate this and emotionally move forward. I don't know. That's a lot yeah. of, um, no, it's a good. big question, Ivy, for just like a a little segment. <laughs> well, I just think, and, and I, I think we can get, and there's no judgment. I never want anyone to be like, ugh, yeah. like there's no judgment here. And this is not like a black and white podcast. If This is the only way how to do this. But I love, here's the thing, that I've gotten to listen to you talk about your the way that you parent, and it's helpful in me having that perspective. Do you know what I mean? And it doesn't mean that my parenting looks just like yours. It's just, I, I appreciate that perspective. And I remember, you know, your oldest and my oldest are about the same age, like two weeks apart or something. And, I, you know, I would like rock Warren until he was fast asleep and try and transfer him to the crib without crying like if he woke up, I had to keep rocking him and the bed, it lasted forever. And you were like, just put him in the bed. He'll fall asleep <laughs> and, it, and it's helpful. So there's no judgment, but all that to say, I think you also have this perspective of, Hey, my suffering actually produced character in me and a little bit of suffering, a, a little tears, a little discomfort is not terrible for our kids right? Like it develops character, which is what you experienced. Okay. What is most inspiring about your mom? 
actually a couple weeks ago during the quarantine, the beginning of it, um, I found a couple of my mom's journals from before she knew Jesus days. And these were days that I think some like doctor told her, you should journal about like your day and your pain. And so she kind of started out as like a medical log of like, this is what the medicine I took today. And this is the pain I was in today. And by the end of this journal, she had met Jesus and kind of within all the pages, you were just seeing like the amount of pain and chronic pain and the how the medicines were making her feel. And, you know, I felt really like swollen and lethargic today. And, and I felt really dizzy and not able to get out of bed today. Like mm. things that as a child, I really had no idea were going on. And I can't imagine being a parent and being in constant pain. Oh, And yeah. the doctor appointments and just the like disappointment in things and the disappointment and not being able to do the things that her friends were doing. And at one point she had written like, I don't feel like I have any friends because I feel bad and I'm not able to go to things. So then I don't get invited to things. And it's just the cycle of like being in chronic pain all the time. And I think something I loved about my mom was she just was a very faithful, loyal servant hearted person. Oh my goodness. I know. Yeah. Despite the pain. Yeah. And had just such a gift for hospitality and she was creative and she had character. Yeah. And then meeting Jesus, she had hope. And so I think I love seeing like the suffering perseverance character hope in her life and just like the faithfulness that she had. Yeah. You came to know Jesus in junior high? I came to know Jesus my freshman year in high school. I had a young life leader that showed up and I had no idea about Jesus. We did not grow up in the church. We went to church on Christmas and Easter and it was miserable. I like hated going. (laughs) (laughs) Did, was your mom, was your mom, did your mom get to know Jesus after? My mom came to know Jesus around the same time that I did. Okay. So I met this young life leader and then she had a couple of friends that started inviting her to a Bible study. And, um, it was around like my freshman year of high school. And so we kind of like journeyed through the beginning of our faith together, which was really sweet. Yeah. So faithful in reading her Bible too, like coming downstairs. And that was like what she did every morning sitting at the kitchen table. And I just loved having that example. Yeah. Just a total shift too from who she was before. Yeah. So I guess you can remember like, you know, I, I accepted Jesus when I was in second grade, so I don't remember too much of like a before and after. Yeah. But can you art- like, do you remember the before and after? Oh, yes, yes. And I think what I really remember most as a freshman in high school is my young life leader showed up in my cafeteria, and I re- distinctly remember thinking there's something different about her. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe the first time I had really been around someone that was like really walking with Jesus. And I noticed it immediately. And that was really looking back what I was attracted to 
to in her was Jesus. I probably wouldn't have been able to articulate that as a freshman, but I remember getting Panera bread with her one morning before school and she just, it wasn't even an invitation, but she used in the, in the same sentence, personal relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think maybe even talking about her life or, and I, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I didn't know that that was like a thing. No one had told me that was a thing. And I didn't realize that like you could have a personal relationship. I just thought you went to church on Christmas and Easter like I didn't realize there was a personal piece to it. And so I just remember like my life really drastically changed that year because it was like, oh, there's this, there's a whole personal piece of like, I can spend time with them at home. I mean, I didn't have a Bible, like I'm a freshman in high school. And so I'd never read any of the Bible stories or knew like anything. I never heard song. Like I never grew up with church songs. Yeah. I never did vacation Bible schools. Uh-huh. Like. Now I have my kid and I mean, I want my kid to do one every week of the summer and, <laughs> and I didn't Aww. grow up with any of that, you know? Yeah. So it was a, a really big change. Yeah. And just like I saw Jesus as a friend, mm-hmm. like I wanted a personal, he wasn't this like boring God sitting on top of a throne from afar yes. with a white beard and um, I... I didn't know he could be anything more. Uh-huh. So it was kind of like the first time someone said that in a sentence, I was like, what? Sure, I'm in. <laughs> like, you have that. I want that. Yeah. And I, yeah, my life, I mean, I'm on Young Life staff for almost 15 years. And so, yeah, I mean, life doesn't, my life has looked drastically different. Yeah, I think too, like, we have to be careful. We don't want our kids to just think, Jesus is, we go to church. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is actually somebody we could have a relationship with that comes in our house and rides with us in the car and we can talk to at night. And do you know what I mean? Like, it's not just a church thing. And you didn't grow up with that. And now you're introducing that into your home. And when I think the reality is, is it doesn't matter what we say and it doesn't matter like how many times we step into church. I mean, all those things are really important, but I recognize Jesus in her Hmm. and Mm -hmm. in my young life leader. And so for my kids, like the very best thing I could do for them is, is I want them to be able to recognize Jesus in me. And that comes from just spending time with him. Right. And I mean, that's the best thing that we can do for our kids. And will we be perfect at it? No. Will we make a million mistakes? <laughs> sure. Like, will we flip out at our kids when they break our Christmas ornaments? And <laughs> I was referring to I a few days ago. This is totally a side note. My kids are quietly playing upstairs, or so I think, and I'm just having the best time downstairs by myself. And I go upstairs, and they have crawled into my attic. <laughs> taken down all my Christmas ornaments and we're just like throwing them around the room. (laughs) And I lost it. Like I yelled and the feeling that I felt on the inside, I carried with me for the rest of the day of like, I might've yelled too loud. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm so mad. I'm so mad. (laughs) What are you thinking, children? Okay, Um, and that's the reality of this is like, yeah, yes, we want to be the kind of moms that show our kids who Jesus is. But what would Jesus do in this moment when your (laughs) kids are 
throwing ornaments around he, the he house. The, the, the tables in the temple. <laughs> it might have looked a little like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ooh, we needed a redo. Uh-huh. But, uh, we all needed a redo. They needed to redo throwing my Christmas ornaments, ornaments around. Yes. Just- yes. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, okay. These are a couple unrelated bonus questions because I want to hear or, or I want to share Turner's wisdom on these two topics. Okay. So you're an only child. Forrest, your husband is an only child. And yeah. now y'all have four kids. So we tell me. don't know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about y'all's process to four kids. Yeah. Um, so both of us are only children. Like I said, both of us have divorced parents. And so for us, one of our like earlier conversations in dating was around the idea that holidays are so boring because both of us it was spent with just one parent and we, we have cousins, but they're not like super close cousins. And so literally like Christmas was me and my mom and then it was him and his mom. And so early on in dating, we dreamed of like a legacy of Mm. being able to look down the road and be grandparents one day and have a house full of our kids and a house full of grandkids and our parents both like all met Jesus. Well, not all of them. Our moms met Jesus later in life. And, but that's not like our families growing up. were not built around faith. And Mm -hmm. so we just had this dream of being grandparents and having built this legacy and this family that looked really different from where we came from. It's like breaking the cycle of brokenness and, and knowing we were committed to our marriage Mm -hmm. and we wanted to raise our kids with similar beliefs and faith and just having this like house full of people one day that had grown up in that. And so, and again, not that everyone ends up, deciding to walk that road. I understand that from working with Young Life, but just the culture, I guess, Mm -hmm. we were excited about thinking of raising our kids differently than we were raised. And one of the last conversations I had with my mom, I had two kids when she passed away and she said, you are such a good mom Mm -hmm. and you need to have so many kids because you're able to parent, you've just got a gift. Like you're Mm -hmm. able to do it. Like I haven't seen in, in other people. And she was probably, she's my mom. So she's like encouraging, probably exaggerating things. And I realized that she wasn't, she, she was spot on. She spoke a truth into me that gave me the freedom to, to, to think outside the box of like, I came from a, and I was an only child and I only know how to do like, one child. Right. And after that, I was like, she spoke that into me and it's just been fun. After my mom passed away, I've had two boys, which have brought just like a whole nother level, richness, wildness to our family. And even though my mom was never able to meet them, I feel like she's a part of them because she kind of had spoke that over my life of like, you have a gift, you need to have more. Yeah. This is like your thing. And I was so glad that she gave me that 
just because maybe I would have stopped. Maybe I would have been fearful of like, I don't know how to do four. I don't know how to do three. I don't even know how to do two. Right. <laughs> um, but I have always realized too that we always kind of left it open to the Lord of like his timing. And we always, we were able to get pregnant super fast and that which I'm thankful for. But I always felt like it was the Lord saying to us, Hey, I've given you another one because this children are a blessing yeah. and hard mm-hmm. and there will be hard times, but this is just another blessing that I am sending your way. Yeah. And I think we have both felt that way. I mean, have there been days in quarantine that it's like, these children are not blessings. <laughs> yes. I want to be watching Netflix all day long <laughs> and I'm doing homeschool. Like, yeah. you know, so, but I think legacy wise, long-term wise, just the, like the big family, like all of us growing in our relationship with Jesus together as a family, just was like, we didn't have that. And yeah. just to um, change the trajectory of our lives and, and our futures and like Jesus changed our lives and yeah. it's just, like he changed our families and our future families because of it. Yeah. Well, and I love that the Holy Spirit spoke to both you and Forrest. Like it yeah. wasn't like, come on, Forrest, don't we want to do Like he yeah. clearly spoke and compelled both of y'all to have this vision for your family and your home. That's something that we all can have. We don't yeah. we don't have to muster that up on our own. We can all go, okay, God, what what is your vision for our family? What do yeah. you have for us? And he speaks. And the reality is, you know, sometimes it's one child. Sometimes it's adopting. Some you know, it it but but he clearly spoke to you and Forrest about a vision for your family and he spoke yeah. through your mom. To help yeah. with, like, it's, oh, I love it. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, you, you've mentioned you've done Young Life for yes. 15 years. So you're around a lot of teenagers. Yes. <laughs> teenagers today. So, and I feel like that gives you such a unique perspective on parenting. Because I'm like, a lot of us parents are like, we're just in our, like, we're around three and five-year-olds or whatever age we have. So tell me what, you know, what do you, what, what's your perspective being around teenagers and how does that impact your parenting? Well, I want to give this piece too about young life. And um, I think why it's so dear to my heart is our vision is really to reach kids that would tell you they're not interested in Jesus. Mm-hmm. They're not walking into church on Sundays and maybe some of them have grown up around it. Maybe some have not. Um, but we have a heart for the farthest out kid. And I was one of those. And so the kids that I come across on a weekly basis, um, they're, they're far out kids. They're doing things on Friday and Saturday nights that I hope my kids don't do one day. Mm-hmm. And they're making decisions that, oh, I really hope my kids don't make one day. But they're also processing what it means to follow Jesus. And so what I see in teenagers that I hang out with and what I hear from them is that a lot of times in their families, they don't feel seen or heard. Hmm. And maybe their parents don't understand them or, I mean, whatever it is. But 
they just feel like no one listens, no one sees them, no one hears them. And so every time I hear that when I'm sitting around a group of girls makes me as a parent, like make a mental note in my mind of, I need to make sure I'm listening to my kids. Yeah. Not always disciplining. I'm not always giving them advice, but I'm actually just sitting and listening with no agenda. Hmm. Like I love them, no strings attached. And, and really to be able to say, I love you regardless of the decisions you make. And I think as a parent, that's challenging because sometimes their decisions affect us. And so as a young life leader, I can say to a kid a little bit easier, I love you no matter the decisions you make because they're not, You're like, well, <laughs> yeah. well, I don't want them to make those decisions. It's not ultimately like falling back on me. Right. So I realize that. Um, but I think the piece of being able for our kids to one day say like, I felt really, I felt like I was heard by my parents. Hmm. They might've not agreed, but I spoke what I needed to speak or I spoke my opinion and they heard me. Like we spend more time listening than lecturing, maybe. Yes. That if we listen more, then they might be more open to hearing us. And I think, you know, right now with little kids, my kids are are seven, five, three, and one. I'm in a disciplinary stage. I'm in a teaching, instructing. They are also asking a lot of questions. They want to know. Yeah. I'm hanging out with middle school and high school kids. And, and I think at that point, we need to be more of a coaching stage of parenting, mm, right? Where yeah. we're hearing them, we're listening, and we're also on the sidelines cheering them on. Yes. And we're still like, we're still instructing and teaching too, but like how we treat a five-year-old is not how we treat a middle schooler, yes. right? We would, that would be, that would be hard. Okay. So moving on to the next thing that I think hanging out with Young Life Kids has taught me that seasons of hard and suffering are okay for our kids. I have walked with kids that have walked through really hard things. Yeah. And have come out on the other side in a beautiful, magnificent way. And I've walked through life where, gosh, maybe middle school was really hard for a kid and they were really picked on. They had no friends. And because of those hard years, they ended up having an amazing experience in high school because of maybe some of the hard that they walked through in middle school. And Mm -hmm. so kind of looking at the bigger picture of things and seeing, okay, I might have a kid that's really hurting right now. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, I want to love them and support them, but also knowing in my mind that the Lord's going to use it for good. Yes. And being okay with, as a parent, we want to worry. We want to like, we want their pain to then become our pain. And sometimes we're crippled by that. And I think it's having the perspective that a hard season for our kid is going to be used for good. Yeah. And we have to trust the Lord with that. And there. Um, my mom loved, there's a devotional she loved called Streams in the Desert, and it talks about like grief and suffering. And there's a quote in it that I love, and I have it written in a bunch of different places, but it's this, it says, we cannot see what trials, loss, and sorrow are accomplishing. We only need to trust. We have no idea what the Lord is doing in a seventh grader's life. 
we need to trust the Lord with it. Yeah. And he is using hard and loss and sorrow for his good. Right. And we need to rest and we need to trust. And that needs to be like our reaction as parents. Because I've sat with hundreds of kids in middle school and high school. And when I look at the big picture of things, the seasons of hard that they walked through, just the good that came from it. Hmm. Yes. When you look at like the the long, big perspective of things, right. of just stories of redemption and, and stories of hope and joy yes. and that came out of some hard, tough, family circumstances or gosh, my freshman didn't make the cheerleading team and it was her dream and she's crushed yes. and it ended up being the best thing for her. Mm-hmm. You know, just the Lord promises us. It's a promise that he will use what is hard and the loss and sorrow and bad for good. And it's his good, which is ultimately our good. Yeah. And it's worse, honestly, it's worse as a mom to watch your kids suffer than your own suffering. To be able to trust God in those moments, it's impossible, yes. honestly, without the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like, yes. so, but that is so good. And I think your perspective of like, you've seen this happen over and over. It's like, the Lord's like, I just need to keep knocking you across the head with this of yeah. like, I'm in the business of redeeming and restoring and renewing messy, broken things, messy, broken people. And it's yeah, like, it's what he does. Yeah. And Let's allow him to do it. Yes. That is so good. Oh, okay. Any any last words of wisdom, thoughts, anything you want to share? I will say this. I think I'm able to speak about suffering and, and loss and pain. And yeah, you know, I think one of my greatest times of loss were when my mom passed away and Mm -hmm. I grew up with her being sick my whole life and the disappointments of that. But just the last two weeks of her life and she ended up dying of stage four brain cancer, which is just brutal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would tell you that was the, the, the times just of grief and, and crying and heartache. Mm -hmm. But I came out on this other side of it knowing Jesus Mm -hmm. and seeing him the most clear I have ever seen him. And so I always am reminding myself of those two weeks I look back on and it's like kind of hard not to get teary when I think about them because they were really hard. And like the feeling on the inside of just like loss was like hard but I look back on that time too. It's like a really sweet time. And I just felt, I physically felt the Lord's goodness and faithfulness. And so it's a reminder to me that in times of suffering and loss and pain, He is also so faithful and so good. So I think for future times of suffering and loss, I'm thankful to have walked through that period because of what I learned and in the perspective it's given me and in knowing, okay, if I'm going to have to walk through really hard times ahead, I can't wait to experience like the Lord's goodness and faithfulness like I did. Yeah. Like it only made me more certain of like who the Lord is. 
Okay, so I hope that gave you just this tiny glimpse into the kind of person Turner is. I'm afraid I didn't quite do it justice. I don't know. It's just, I've known her since 2003. So that's a long time to know a person. And and she's just awesome. Turner is tough and efficient. Our group of friends is like, how did she get all of that done in one day? Turner's a go-getter, a hard worker. She's bold. She says it like it is. She's fun. She's full of wisdom. She's a giver, super generous. She's encouraging, not in this like, oh, you're so cute kind of way, but like this this way that kind of makes you want to be better, you know? She's someone that deeply knows Jesus, not in a preachy, judgmental kind of way, over-the-top spiritual, but in this way that also makes you want to follow Him too. She's just this awesome little force. (laughs) But here's the thing that we often forget. When we meet people that are so awesome— We've, we don't realize what it took for them to get to that place. And Turner endured a lot of painful things to get to be the person she is today. But that kind of got me thinking, who out there hasn't experienced pain? I mean, haven't we all, in some form or fashion, gone through or are currently going through something super difficult? That isn't painful things a part of living. Like I don't, I don't think anyone can go through life and avoid heartache or pain. I don't think there's a way to not experience it. However, I do think there's a way to endure pain and not be changed by it. I, I think there might be a way to avoid the pain, pretend the pain doesn't exist, jump over the pain, have rosy-colored glasses and, and not be honest about it. And then you might miss the entire point of pain. And what I think Turner deeply knows and described in the podcast, and I think it's what Sissy came to understand, is that there is a way to accept our heartbreak and our pain. Accept it. And then run full-fledged to Jesus with it. And guess what happens when you do that? You experience the hope of Jesus in the most extraordinary way. And I sort of wonder if that's what led Sissy to have that really honest conversation with Turner as a teenager. You know, the one where Sissy says, hey, I'm going to fight. I'm going to endure pain so that I can be your mom. That was an incredibly honest conversation. And I sit here thinking, what does it look like for me to be the kind of mom that helps my sons experience hard things? And I'm not saying (laughs) force my kids to do hard things. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when my boys are scared about something or hurt by something or experience some sort of heartbreak, that what does it look like for me to help them experience it and honestly see it and then push them or encourage them towards Jesus? I don't think that's easy. I mean, as a mom, I want to shield my kids from pain. I want to pretend like pain isn't there. 
right? I, I want to make pain like, oh, it's okay. You're going to be fine. But in actuality, like as a mom, there are times when life is hard and my boys might be hurting or they're anxious or they're heartbroken about something. And I want to be the kind of mom that sits with them and says, I'm so sorry, buddy. This is hard. I wish I could take this pain away. I wish I could make this better. This is hard. But you know who gets difficult things? You know who gets what it's like to be in pain? You know who understands what it feels like to endure the most painful thing ever? You know who that is? Jesus. Jesus understands. Jesus gets it. And He will be there for you. And He will comfort you. And He will give you the greatest sense of peace that you've ever experienced. I want to be that kind of mom. I hope you found something that you can relate to from today's conversation. And thanks for joining us. If you have any questions or just want more tips for parents, let me know at ilasseter at fbrichardson.org. I'd love to talk with you. See you next time on the Four Parents Podcast.